Good morning, everybody. Is my mic on? Can you hear me all right? All right, awesome. I'm excited and honored again, as always, to be with here two weeks in a row and, and share God's word with you. So we're in our final week. We're wrapping up our look at the book of Galatians. For the past few weeks, we've been, we've been looking at Galatians. And today, the, the big question that we're going to face, now that we've, we've studied this book, is now what? So, so what do we do now? Now what? Because in the first week, we learned that we're made right with God. Our relationship was restored to him. We're, we're justified, forgiven of our sins, not by obeying a series of ethical and ritual rules, not by obeying the law, but by our faith in Jesus Christ. And the week after that, Sean taught us that we're adopted into God's family. We're adopted as sons and daughters of Almighty God, not because we're part of some special ethnic group or because we obey the law, because we follow certain rules, but because of our faith in Jesus. And so we're no longer slaves, we're no longer outcasts, but we're God's children, we're his heirs. And last week, we took a pit stop to remember that we share this good news, this good news that we're saved from sin and death, that we're made right with God by his grace, by faith in Christ. We share that awesome news with people because we love them, that sharing the gospel requires sharing out of love. And so now we might ask, as perhaps the Galatians were asking, what now? So how do we live? Because in a way, you know, Paul's created a problem, right? With no law, how do we live? And if we no longer have to obey the law, if our works aren't what gets us right with God or brings us into God's family, how do we live? What do we do? What rules do we follow? Do we follow any rules? Can we just do whatever we want now? Well, Paul's going to show us in our text today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians 5. We'll start in verse 16, Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. And listen carefully with me to what God's Word says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, even as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. 
So in a way, this is a pretty straightforward text. But there's actually deep, deep power in it. So let's, let's walk through it and see what Paul is saying. Because he starts off stressing the importance of about what he's about to say. It starts off with, so I say. I say to you, I tell you, right? It's as if I were to stop right now and said, listen to this, right? I'm highlighting something important is coming. Pay attention. Paul's about to answer the problem he's created, answer this question, how do we live? And what's his answer? His answer is Paul's heading for this, this whole text. It's his primary command, walk by the Spirit. And that verb walk here, it's, it's borrowing from this, a Jewish notion of a person's walk, right? It was the, the, the way, how people live their lives. It was the way you conduct yourselves. The totality of how you live, what you say, what you do, what you think. And walking by the Spirit might be better translated as, as walking by the power of the Spirit. Now, grammatically here, the Spirit is the means by which we walk. The Holy Spirit is the power behind it. You know, in the same way that, that I might say, you know, I got to work by riding my bike. My bike is the means by which I got to work. This is how Christians live, by the power of God within us. Uh, Gordon Fee is this awesome Bible scholar whom I, I really enjoy, and he wrote this tour de force book on the Holy Spirit where he goes through all of Scripture and examines what the Word says about the Holy Spirit. And the title of the book is God's Empowering Presence, which is probably one of my favorite descriptions of who the Holy Spirit is. God himself living in us, granting us power to live the life we were called to. So how do we live now that we're made free from the law? Now that Christ has won our freedom from sin and death, we're no longer you know, under the, the rules we need to perform to be made right with God. We don't need to work to be adopted into God's family. How do we live? We live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and the biggest portion of this text, what follows after this, is Paul just expanding on the consequences of living by the Spirit. Paul says that if we walk by the Spirit, we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And Paul here uses the strongest, most emphatic means of negation available to him in Greek. He actually says, you will certainly not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's certain, it's definite, a surety, a guarantee. There's no way it will happen. And flesh here, this is just Paul's way of indicating our sinful nature. It's his favorite term for that. And some of your Bibles might actually translate it this way, the sinful nature. Flesh is just representing humankind's bent towards sin, our depraved nature. And in a couple of verses, he's going to show us what that sinful nature, what the flesh looks like. So if we walk by the Spirit, why is Paul certain? Why is he so certain that we won't gratify the desires of the flesh? Well, Paul tells us in the next verse, in verse 17, we see that the Holy Spirit and the flesh are in opposition to each other. They are utterly incompatible. There's no middle ground between them. There's nothing in common, no reconciling them. It's black and white, binary zero, binary one. And as a result of this, those who live by the Spirit can't do whatever they please anymore. Walking by the Spirit means you don't gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. 
but you object. I sin all the time. I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm always gratifying the desires of my flesh, right? Well, this text says if you're gratifying the desires of the flesh, you're not walking by the Spirit, by definition, because the two are incompatible. So sinning means you're not walking by the power of the Spirit. You're resisting the Spirit in this case. You're choosing to go the way of the flesh. So Paul says, walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you do, you will certainly not fulfill the desires of the flesh because the Spirit and the flesh oppose each other. You can't do whatever you want anymore. And he continues in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. And this is obviously true. What need is there for any law, any ethical or moral code, if you're walking by the power of the law giver? The the laws moot if you're led by the Spirit. And don't miss that subtle change in language Paul has here, too. Paul's showing that we're led by the Spirit. It's stressing, again, our dependence on the Holy Spirit to live the life we're called to live. When you're led by somebody, you depend on them to get where you're going, which is, in this case, holiness. Right? We've all, before GPS days, or maybe if you don't even have one of those, We've all been in a situation where you've been in a car and you've had to follow somebody somewhere, especially through Boston, someplace like really dicey and scary where you don't know where to be, what lane do I need to be in, what's the secret handshake to get through this neighborhood, right? And you have to like follow somebody in their car. And if you're like me, you f- that there's that, I gotta, I, if I don't follow this person, I am just hosed. I'm going to get lost. There's a dependence. You follow that person to get where you're going. Right? You're dependent on the leader to lead you to get where you're going. So also, for living as a believer, we are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to lead us into holiness. And so starting in verse 19 then, Paul launches into this exposition to explain the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. He's expanding on the contrast that he just talked about. And giving some examples. And this is probably one of the better known sections in all the book of Galatians. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I'm not going to analyze each word here, though it's a lot of fun to do so, but I I do want to make a couple of observations, three observations. First, clearly, these are not exhaustive lists. Paul is is citing examples of the flesh's works and the Spirit's fruit. And it's clear that it's not exhaustive because after each list, after the first list, he says, and the like. Right? In other words, it's all this stuff and other things like them. And after the list of the Spirit's fruit, he says, against such things, there is no law. Again, for things like this, implying that there are others, there's no law against them. So these aren't exhaustive lists. And secondly, as you move through these lists, it's clear that there's an emphasis here on community. An emphasis on community. Which of these things, the good or the bad, can you do on a deserted island? I mean, maybe, maybe some, 
right? You can get drunk alone. You can perform witchcraft alone. You might be able to be joyful or peaceful alone, perhaps. But the majority of these things presuppose a community. It requires others. And notice how the list of vices, the works of the flesh, they're the types of things that tear communities apart. Or they show that communities are falling apart. And contrast this to the list of the fruit, which characterizes what keeps communities whole, thriving, and together. And this is because the sinful list, the works of the flesh, it's characteristically self-focused. And the spirit list is characteristically other-focused. And this is crystal clear if you just think about what Paul uses to head up each list. And the works of the flesh, it's sexual immorality or fornication. And it's put first in the works of the sinful nature. And Paul is talking here just about sexual relations with people who are not your spouse. And it is the paradigm for self-centeredness. I want to use you, another human being, for me. I want the most intimate, special, private parts of you for me, where you're your most vulnerable, right, for, for my pleasure, and I give you nothing of myself. I make no commitment to you for your good or your thriving. I make no enduring, lifelong promise to give you all of me. I don't want any strings, no burden of commitment. I'm in this for me so I can feel good. I want you to give me that. I'm using you for that. And friends, especially those of us who, who, who are younger and not married, please don't buy into the widespread and egregious lie that sexual promiscuity is somehow affirming or self-actualizing good, that it's normal or healthy. It is none of those things. Of all the lies Americans have bought, hook, line, and sinker, this has to be in the top five. It's the picture of people living for themselves, and it's not the way things were meant to be. Now contrast this with love. Contrast that attitude with love. Love, which says, I'm in this for you. I have no interest in me or my pleasure. Your happiness, your thriving, your needs, your protection, your joy, the very best for you, that's what I'm about. That's love. I'm committed to giving myself for your good. This is, this is God's posture towards us, right? I give my very self, God gave his very son for us, for our thriving, for our good. I will pursue you and stick with you even if you hate me because I have your best interests in mind. I'm committed to giving myself for your good. This is the testimony of God's character throughout the Bible. This is love. And this is how communities thrive. Finally, notice among the list that there's a, there's a symmetry of sorts. In either list, you don't really get one of those things without the others. Right? The works of the flesh all go along together. And so also does the fruit of the Spirit. If you have selfish ambition, I'll bet a million dollars that you also have discord, jealousy, and fits of rage. If you have hatred, you're likely to have factions, division, and dissensions. How closely associated 
our drunkenness and sexual immorality. They're really close companions, aren't they? Sleeping around, hooking up, whatever. Think now of the fruit of the Spirit. Have you, I mean, is it a thing? Have you ever met a patient, gentle person who has absolutely no self-control or a loving person who isn't kind? Man, Marcioni is the most loving man I have ever met. But he's brutal. He's so harsh. Man, he's like a drill sergeant. No, it's not a thing. They all go together. They all come along for the ride. If you're loving, you're other-focused and not self-focused, you're going to be more patient because it's not all about you. You're going to be able to put up with people better. Sorry about that. I've got to stop looking down. You'll be kind. You'll be good. And chances are you'll probably have more peace and joy in your life as well. So Paul has told us to walk by the power of the Spirit. And there's no way we'll satisfy the lusts of the sinful nature because the Spirit and the flesh oppose each other. He then lists out some examples of what this looks like. The works of the flesh are seen as intrinsically self-focused, community-destroying things. The fruit of the Spirit is characteristically other-focused, community-building, and sustaining. And then Paul reiterates his main point again to close us out in verse 24. He says that those who belong to Jesus, Christians, have crucified the sinful nature and all its desires. So if you believe in Jesus, if you've received the Holy Spirit, you now live with him in you, and you can't just do what you want anymore. The old you is dead. There's a new you now. You've been reborn. You've been born again. And Paul uses the most forceful imagery he can come up with. The sinful nature has been crucified. Right? In Paul's time, there isn't a more powerful image of something being utterly destroyed and killed beyond hope than crucifixion. Our sinful nature didn't just die peacefully in its sleep. It was crucified, murdered in the most dramatic way possible. So given all this, Paul says in verse 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He's now putting himself in the mix again. We're in this together. Let's do this together. I'm in it with you, you with me, us with all believers. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. And concludes in verse 26, let's not do these things that destroy community. Right? These are contrary to the Spirit. So how do we live now that we're Christians? We live by the power of the Holy Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. Because this guarantees we're not walking in sin. We've no need for law in this case because we're acting like the lawgiver. We're acting like God. The fruit of the Spirit, maybe this is obvious, it should be obvious, it describes what God is like. This is God. It's obvious because the Holy Spirit is God, so go figure, right? God is loving. He's joyful. He's merciful. He's peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, and self-controlled. This is God. And that's the life we were called to, to live. That's what we were supposed to be like. But we can't do it. So God gives us the power to do it through his spirit, his very self. He leads us along by his spirit. So what have we learned, right? What, what, ultimately, what's the nugget that Paul is teaching us here that we pull out of this? Paul shows us that we live how we're saved. We live how we're saved. 
the same way we were saved from the eternal consequences of sin is the same way we live a life without sin, by God's power, because of God's initiative, by God's lead. We live by God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit, just as we were saved by God's power, the power of the death and resurrection of his son. We live how we're saved. If we were saved some other way by the law, that would be how we lived. Our salvation, our happiness, our identity, well-being, whatever, would be tied to our works, to our performance. So we'd live or die by our works. But there's no power in that, and we, we all know that, right? It crushes us. More rules, another moral framework, more things to live up to, there's no power in that, right? It, because we're, we're weak. Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son. We live how we're saved. And this should be an obvious statement to us, but it's not. Because I think, as Americans especially, we tend to think of salvation as just getting to heaven. Right? We're just saved from eternal death. We're just saved from hell. But it's not. I mean, it's so much more than that. We're, we're saved from our sin in this life, too. Right? We're saved from living the way we used to live before we knew Jesus. We're not just saved from sin, but to holiness. Right? So living, living a holy life, that, that's part of our salvation. Right? That's part of why we were saved. We're freed from sin right now. Sin still hurts. It still brings death. It hurts us. It hurts others. We're saved from that too. And so, of course, now that we're saved by God's power from sin and death, we live by God's power in this life. What, what other way could there be? We couldn't save ourselves from death. God had to do it by sending Jesus. We can't save ourselves from our sinfulness and be holy. God has to do it by sending the Holy Spirit. And it's better. It's better than a law written down somewhere. It's the lawgiver living inside us, speaking and leading us directly from the inside out. God did what we couldn't do by saving us from eternal death, and he's still doing in us what we can't do by saving us from our sinfulness and saving us to holiness. So what do we do? Right? I mean, once again, we sort of solve the problem, but not, not really, right? And isn't this, you know, like just works all over again? More things to do? Okay, maybe before I thought I had to go to church, read my Bible, pray every day and all this. Now I have to love, be peaceful, be patient, be kind, be gentle, blah, 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 right? Just did a little bait and switch. Well, actually, I'd argue that none of these things here, the fruit of the Spirit, are things that you actually do. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, they, they aren't really tasks or events. They're not works. And even more, you can't fake them. I mean, you can't, you can't fake these things, right? I mean, I could read my Bible every day and hate it, not get anything out of it, and I want to do it, just read it like I'm reading the newspaper. I can pray every hour, have no connection, no desire to speak to God, hear nothing, just do it, go through the motions. I might act loving, I might act patient, but not really be loving or patient in my heart. It comes from the inside. The fruit of the Spirit, they, they evince heart attitudes. They're not just external deeds you can do. It's something within you. 
Something has to change inside you. This is probably why, or one of the reasons why, Paul refers to them as the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is the consequence or result of a hard attitude. And secondly, let me say that, yes, you don't have to do anything. But if I could be so bold, you will. I guarantee it. If you have acknowledged your sinfulness and received God's gift of salvation through Jesus, you will start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Paul makes it crystal clear that our sinful nature has been dealt a mortal blow when we've accepted Christ. So it's an inevitability. You can fight it, you can resist it, but God has infected you with his holiness on salvation. And it is slowly going to overcome you. And I I wish I had a better metaphor for that, right? Like a positive one, like a shot of antibiotics or something like that. But these days that has negative connotations too. But, you know, whatever. You get the idea, right? It's happened. It's starting. And when I first came to the Lord, I, I was 25 years old. And immediately, you know, nothing exterior to my life just changed in the blink of an eye. I was still mixing with the same friends. We were doing the same things as before. But I suddenly noticed that the behaviors I had before, they just weren't sitting right with me, right? Sin lost its taste. The coarse language, offensive shows I was watching, you know, whatever it was. I was changing from the inside because God had hold of me now. And it can be really, really hard, friends. It can be really hard to notice this sometimes. And that's why we absolutely need community. We need faithful brothers and sisters to bring both conviction and encouragement because it's hard to see change in yourself. Right? We're often blind to how we're, how we're living because we see ourselves every day. I live with myself every day. I'm, I'm trapped here, right? I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like aging. Right? I look at myself in the mirror every day, Right? And it's not until I see a picture of myself from 10 years ago that I'm like, good gravy. Like, who's that young kid? Like, my forehead's getting bigger, you know? And my, the lines in my, you know, wow, I'm, hey, I'm getting old, right? That's really sad, actually. But, you know, it's, it's what happens, right? Even if you have kids, right? You bring little kids, you're with them every day. And then you go meet an old friend or you meet your parents or something after six months, after a year. And what do they always say? Wow, they've gotten so big. Look at how they've grown. And you're like, well, yeah, I, you know, yeah, I guess you're right, right? You look at pictures of them when they were babies. They're like, holy cow, when did this happen? Right? You need something outside of yourself to notice a change. And with the fruit in our life, it's essential to be walking in community. Hey, Brian. Your, your, your language, your tone lately, it seems like you're really angry. Is everything all right? And I thank God for men in my life like, like Pastor Sean, who's walked with me you know, over 12 years now. And there are times during that walk where I've been so discouraged. I'm, I'm not changing. I can't get over this. Why am I still struggling with this? It seems like forever. You know, aren't I living in the power of the Spirit? Aren't I a Christian? Is it, you know, it shakes my faith. Isn't it, is any of this real? If it was, I wouldn't be struggling with this still. 
And Sean says, hey, you know what, Brian, though? Five years ago, this is a completely different conversation. Look, look at how you've grown, right? It's hard to see. So we need community. He reminds me of things, the way things looked in the past, and it's encouraging. I'm reminded God actually is, is at work in my life. But you're still annoyed with me because what does it actually mean to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? That's kind of a hard thing to grasp. How do we do that? It's not a terribly helpful thing to say if you don't know how you actually do that. So let me, let me offer a couple practical suggestions here. So first of all, take heed. Take heed. If you want to be led by the Spirit, you need to listen to the Spirit. So pray and listen. I am embarrassed sometimes by how little I pray throughout my day. I'm always thinking, right, and, and trying to solve problems on my own and figure things out. And I could just take a second or two and ask somebody who happens to actually know everything. And he never makes mistakes. And he has my best interests in mind. He's fully committed to my good. Why wouldn't I do that all the time? Stop, pray, listen to what God says to you. Ask God every day to fill you with his spirit, to empower you afresh so you can walk out the life he's called you to. Second, read and respond to your Bible. Do you want to be spirit-led? Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit did. It's God's word. So if you know and respond to the scriptures, you are spirit-led. And finally, take heart. Take heart. As we were just singing, he is stronger. God is stronger. God is the one at work in you. And he never fails. And a, lo a long time ago, I heard an illustration of this, this kind of power, this subtle almost power. And you can, you can put some pictures up on the screen, Marion, if you have them, of these trees and plants that have, you know, if you go to an old cemetery in Europe or something like that, that grow through the tombstones or poke up out of the asphalt or concrete, right? So like some years ago, you know, whenever it was, there was a little egghorn or something like that underneath that huge mass of metal and junk and rust, that huge thing. Right? Who's going to win that battle? That tiny little seed in the dirt? Or this huge, powerful, ugly car? The seed won, right? It, it pushed right through all that stuff. It completely overtook it. Who's going to win? That asphalt or that little dandelion? Poke up right through tons of asphalt. Right? This is God's power in us. It's an inevitability. It's going to happen. You can resist him. You can try to fight him, but your holiness it's inevitable. He will complete the work he's begun in you. But we're a, we're a work in progress. I mean, if God rescued us from certain death when we were his enemies, how much more will he be for us now that we're his children? That we've repented, that we've turned to him. 
right? If your own moral failures as a Christian bother you, if you would say that you struggle with sin, that alone should be encouraging. Because this very fact, the fact that sin troubles you, means that God is at work in you. If you care, if you long to overcome sin in your life, or feel conviction when you sin, that's actually a good sign. Take it as proof that the Holy Spirit is working in you. Because as Paul says, the sinful nature and the spirit oppose each other. An action towards one is resisted by the other. If you didn't care, if you're apathetic to your own holiness, that would be a problem. So take heart. We live how we're saved by God's power. And there's no more trustworthy, powerful thing in all creation. And so I was, I was, I was, I was praying this morning. I really struggled with, with this message and, and, and how to communicate this. And so I was asking God, give me a picture or an illustration, something to, to leave people with, help them understand how this, how this works. I took my own advice. I prayed, right, instead of trying to figure it out on myself. I'm like, okay, Marcioni, listen to yourself. Pray. God probably knows. He probably has a good idea. Okay. And he did. At least I think so. I'll submit this to you. But I got this picture of, of a person, <clears throat> of, of, of me or you, whoever it is, a person standing in this crevasse, this valley that's dry and dirty and nasty with junk and debris and refuse strewn about it. And there's dead trees sticking up and rocks everywhere. And we're walking down this valley trying to head towards holiness, which is at the end of this crevasse or channel, whatever you want to call it. And we're climbing over this stuff. Sometimes we're distracted by it. We find an old toy or some, something in the dirt, and we're just sitting there playing with it, or we're just struggling to move forward. And then we receive Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. And behind us is unleashed this flood of water. Crystal clear, pure water just overwhelms the whole valley that we're in, and we're taken up in it right? And now we're moving, we're carried above all this garbage towards holiness. And it's inevitable. We're going to get there. And it's pushing us along. And while that happens, we can swim upstream, we can fight it, we can be afraid, we can be disobedient, we can sin. I can cling to the branches that are sticking up. I can swim to the shore and hold on to a rock for dear life while I'm trying to get swept away towards holiness and fight it. But sooner or later, the, the river's going to win. I'm going to let go. It's going to get me. It's going to get me to holiness. It's going to bring me to life. Or I could swim downstream, right? I could, I could take in the refreshing. I'm out of the muck. I'm out of the junk. I have the power. I have the ability now to move towards holiness, because I'm carried along by this river, by the Holy Spirit. So, so, so meditate on that. that, that that's kind of how it works. It's not your works, your mustering, but you can resist it or you can go with it. You can go with God's power in your life. So as we respond today, the, the, the band can come on up.
I want, I want to do this. Let's, let's listen to the Holy Spirit. Let's be filled anew with the Holy Spirit. Let's take heed and take heart. If you call yourself a Christian this morning, pray for help. You need it. This is how you live the Christian life. Lord, what needs to change in my life? Where am I resisting you? Maybe you need encouragement. I feel like I've been in the same rut for decades, and I just can't get out. Maybe there's a, a brother or sister here who can offer some encouragement, or, or God himself can speak encouragement to your heart and remind you of how he's worked in your life, how he's changed you, how he's brought you from where you were. We need, we need each other. We need community for this. We were created for community. We we're, were saved into a community. Or maybe you're, you, you know, you're in a place where you're not sure where you, you stand. Maybe you do feel apathy towards sin. Or you've never really confessed your need for a Savior. Or you've never committed to turn towards Him. You feel the, the sting of the, the hopelessness of trying to be good enough. Uh, to know freedom, to know life uh, by your own power. Today's the day. Submit to God. Receive his salvation. He's for you. He wants the best for you. Get in that river of life. His salvation is for this life and the next. We live how we're saved by God's power. And so receive that today and walk by the Spirit.